Well, tonight we're going to conclude our study through the book of Ephesians. And I pray that our, the studies have been as much a blessing to you as they have been to us. I have enjoyed reading and listening uh, to Pastor Sean, Sam, and, and Tom teach through each chapter, and it's such a rich book. There is so much to learn from this book. We've seen how Paul, in the first three chapters, explained several doctrinal issues. But most importantly, the first three chapters, we learned of our position in Christ. We learned where we stand in the eyes of God. We learned how, in chapter 1, we were chosen by God before time began. Before there was anything, God chose us. We were predestined, we were adopted. In chapter two, Paul wrote to us about God's work, God's work in us, God's work through us, and then God's work among us. It's so interesting that in chapter two, he, he explains how we were dead in Christ, dead in our sins. We were dead to Christ, dead in our sins. But God, it says, but God, worked in us. He bestowed on us his mercy, his grace. It is through his grace that we were saved and not because of anything that we have done to deserve salvation. It was grace. But I believe that in all of our lives and in all of our struggles, there are those two words that resound, but God. When we were in sin, we were walking in sin. We were dead to God. But it says, but God. Because God, even though we were doing everything we could to go away from him, he was after us. He had chosen us. But God. Chapter 3 brought us to know how we have access to the unsearchable Riches of Christ, unimaginable, unsearchable. We have no idea the riches that lie in Jesus Christ. But it's all because of Jesus, the work that was done on the cross, that we have access to God 24-7. Anytime we want, we have access to God. And we don't have to ask anyone to go before God for us. We have access to the throne at any time. Paul 4, Paul 4, chapter 4, Paul spoke to us about our walk. We are told to walk worthy of our calling. We all receive grace and gifts. Each one of us has spiritual gifts. And all of these gifts are to be used for the Lord, for the work that he has called us to. Chapter 5 taught us about walking in purity. What most remember about chapter 5 is the teaching of the relationship of marriage. As much as the word predestined is upsetting to some people, the phrase, wives submit, is also one of those phrases that makes many people very upset. But you know, God didn't allow anything to be written in the Bible that was bad for us. It is our misunderstanding, it is our misapplication of what God says that makes us upset. It is our desire to be in control that causes us not to be able to walk in his desired path for us. But when we're walking in him, when we are doing what God calls us to do, it's a wonderful life. One of the things, one of the most interesting things that I find in Ephesians is, as we mentioned before, Paul wrote this book while he was in prison. But if you read through, through this book, you'll never hear him mention his conditions in prison or pray for me to get out of prison. 
Everything was focused on living for Christ. He accepted the fact that he was in prison as part of what his calling was. So now we get to Ephesians chapter 6. The final chapter in Ephesians brings us tremendous insights into our walk and our relationship with the Lord in these days. When we think about the things that are going on in this world in these times, it's amazing to see how the Bible is so relevant. Following the instructions that Paul gives us will allow us to function and leave, live in these troubling times. So let's go, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. 1 through 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Last Saturday night, after church, we all went, my family, we all went to get pizza for dinner. The kids were excited, as they normally are, and um, when we got to the pizza hut right over here, uh, my grandson, Sean, bolted out of the car, and he was going to run to the door, and everybody yelled, all the adults yelled, Sean! He stopped. He just stopped, froze in his tracks. But right after that, a car came zipping through the parking lot. It's, for him, it was as if we were yelling at him. And, it, and he was in tears. He was crying. You all yelled at me. What he didn't understand was that he had just disobeyed. We've always told our kids and our grandkids, do not run in the parking lot. And he ran. But he learned that, look, this car almost ran you over. And that's why we, we, we tell our kids, children, obey the your parents. We're, we tell them, we're not trying to teach you anything that would be hurtful to you. We're trying to teach you how to live. And children are to obey their parents at all times. And we as parents have the responsibility to teach them to obey and to teach them the right things, how to live. We are to teach our children the scriptures. We're to teach our children how to live in this world, what's right, what's wrong. Verse 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is one of those scriptures that fathers sometimes have trouble with we naturally like to tease our kids and sometimes set impossible goals. Goals that they can't possibly achieve. And, and fathers, we need to pray about how we are raising our kids. What are our expectations for them? Are they, do they exceed the things that we could do? Do they get disciplined for every little thing that goes wrong? Are we allowing for teaching moments rather than punishing them all the time? You know, are, are, there has to be an equal, I guess, mixture of love and discipline that we need to administer to our children. If we set goals that are too high, too lofty, that they can't possibly achieve, they're going to give up. They're going to be angry. And that's what we don't want to do. And that's what it's saying here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't get them to the point where they're so upset that they're going to do something. Don't get them to the point where they just give up. We need to discipline, but we also need 
to raise our children knowing the same grace and the same mercy that God gave to us. God never smacked us down, but lovingly disciplined us. And that's what we're supposed to do. Paul goes on after dealing with the children and dealing with um, the parents, especially the fathers, where he says in, in verses five through eight, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Some people may think that this doesn't apply now that, you know, we don't have slaves. But it's not true because this, is, this also deals with an employee-employer relationship. And I know that there's some employees that feel that they are slaves, that they're not earning enough, they don't get... Uh, recognition for what they do. And, and here Paul tells us, you know, that we're not, we're not to work like others do. We're not to just give eye service, men pleasers. Men, a man pleaser, an employee who's a man pleaser, is one who, when his boss is around, I mean, this guy is moving. They are just moving, working really hard. And, but when the boss leaves, they're, they're on break. They, they don't do things. You ask them to, do, to help you, eh, forget it, you know, do it yourself. I remember working with a guy who um, it was just like this. When, when the boss was there, he was cleaning, he was, he was serving and everything, but when the boss left, it was like, all right, well, I'm going to go take a break. And uh, he'd go back to the back office and wouldn't see him for an hour. You know, he, he just gone. And... Um, one night, it was at a fast food restaurant, so uh, one night he had gone to the back office and our boss parked across the street. Uh, I didn't know this until the boss came up to the front window and he saw me and I was taking care of all the customers by myself and he goes, where's uh, so-and-so? Uh, he's taking a break. I've been out there watching you guys for the last 45 minutes. Where, where, where is he? Uh, he's in the back office. And so he went over there and um, opened the door, and there he was. He was on the phone, the office phone. He was talking and just kind of, oh, boss, I was just finishing my break. And the boss told him, hey, I've been out there for 45 minutes. You let James out there by himself. And um, the guy got fired. You know, he was, he was trying to be a man pleaser. When the boss was around, he worked. When the boss wasn't around, he didn't. And that's what it say, Paul says. You know, you're not to be a man pleaser in your work. All that we do, we're to do for God. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Everything that we do, we're to do for God, with a heart for God, not looking for rewards from other people, but looking for that eternal reward from God. We're to please Him. And it says that in good, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever 
good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So, in your jobs, are you a man pleaser or are you looking to please God? See, these are the things that we need to do as we read through the scriptures. We need to talk to ourselves and we need to ask, are we, how are we applying this to our lives? How does this apply to our lives? In verse 9, Paul continues and he says, And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is, heaven, is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. God doesn't care whether you're the employer, the employee. There's no partiality. As supervisors, we as Christians should be different in that we don't threaten, but we, we treat those under our care like we would treat Jesus, the way Jesus treats us. To bring out the best in our employees, to make them want to come to work, to make them enjoy work. In verse 10, Paul begins to conclude his letter, and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul begins to close this letter by exhorting the brethren, exhorting the believers. Many believe that physical strength is everything, but Paul exhorts us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's been a very interesting time the last, I guess, couple of weeks. Well, actually, um, through the last administration and to the present, in that so many things have changed. So many things have gone against what the scriptures teach. And there's times that, that I have felt so helpless to see the changes that are taking place. But one of the things that I've seen is that I was allowing the world to change me instead of allowing God to do the work and let, letting the Lord change me. Because our strength as Christians is in the Lord. It's his power, his might. And we need to understand that he is in control. Whatever happens, he's in control. We may think that, well, you know, Satan's getting the upper hand here. He's not. He's not. God is in control, and we're to be strong in the Lord. When we have that strength in the Lord, whatever goes on out in the world cannot move us. We cannot be moved. In verse 11 and 12, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We need to approach this fight. We need to approach this life that we're living in knowing that the battle that's taking place is spiritual. It's not a battle that we can go out and we can arm ourselves, that we can go out and, and change people's minds. Because see, what it says is, put on that whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, in the end, we're going to be standing. As long as we have that full armor of God, we're going to be able to stand against everything that's being thrown against us. Everything. It's, 
it's not like a fight where you're wrestling against flesh and blood. When you, when you watch a wrestling match, which I don't, it's, it's all a big act. However, I used to be. I used to live for wrestling. I used to, and we, we learned that all that stuff is fake. Uh, not because anybody taught us, but we tried all those wrestling moves. And they hurt. <laughs> and those guys get up right away. It doesn't work that way in real life. But it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. When we were doing wrestling, when we were doing boxing, we were playing football, playing everything, it was against flesh and blood. You, you were up against somebody, and you were trying to knock them down. You were trying to do whatever. But our fight in this world is not against flesh and blood. Yes, there are wars going on. There are physical enemies. But our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against things that are coming against God, things that are coming against the scriptures. As Christians, our biggest battles are spiritual. There are some of you here who have served in the military, and I thank you for what your service. You're at, at, there were times when your battles were against a physical enemy. For us here in the United States, our battles really are not against a physical enemy. They're against ideologies, teachings that are going against the scriptures, teachings that are trying to tear down the scriptures. scriptures. Therefore, we cannot go after them like we would go after a physical enemy. And that's what Paul is saying here. Your, your battles are not physical. Your battles are spiritual. And I think that's where sometimes we get so frustrated because we see things changing around us. We, we, we see things that are being taught in the schools to our kids that we know are against the scriptures. I've been caught up in this whole NFL take a knee uh, thing and it was so frustrating, so frustrating because I remember when Tim Tebow who took a knee and he was condemned for it because he was taking a knee for his beliefs in Jesus Christ. But these other guys take a knee for things that happened hundreds of years ago and they are heroes? No. It's, it's, we're, we're fighting ideologies here. We're not fighting a physical battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. If we continue to try to fight our battles in the physical, we're going to lose. We have to realize we have to build ourselves up spiritually. In verse 13, he says, therefore, because of all of this is happening, because everything is spiritual, all your battles are spiritual, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Folks, because the battle is spiritual, Sean sang the song today. The battle belongs to the Lord. And notice that when we take up the whole armor of God, 
What does he say? So that you may attack, so that you may... No. So that you may be able to stand. You will not be beaten down. Take up the whole armor of God so that you may stand. Pastor Charlie used to make me so upset sometimes. So upset. Because there are times when when we in the ministry would come under attack. False accusations, all sorts of things. And, and I would get, we would, we would sit there. I remember sitting there at the meeting one time and accusation after accusation after accusation. And I just wanted to lash out. I wanted to tell them how wrong they were. And Pastor Charlie just sat there and he took it and he took it and he took it. And at the end, when everybody had finished, I mean, they, they had pretty well done us in. He just said, well, let's pray. Prayed and I walked into his office and said, come on, Charlie, why, you didn't say anything. You, you didn't let me say anything. And he said, James, let's see who's standing tomorrow. Let's just see who's standing. When this whole thing is over, let's see who's standing. It, you know, he, he showed me that he was living this out. He wore the armor of God that night. I wanted to use my sword and it wasn't the sword of, sort of the spirit. I wanted to use a sword. <laughs> but when we're in, under attack, at the end of that attack, we are to remain. Who re will remain? Who will stand at the end of the battle? That's what counts. Who's standing at the end of the battle? And having done all to stand. Verse 14, Paul says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. When you're wearing the right belt, everything stays on. You know, everything is in its place. having girded your waist with truth. It's very important. That belt is super important. I learned how important it was one time. We had gone to New York, and uh, we were in a place called Battery Park. We were going to get onto the ferry to go see the Statue of Liberty and uh, Ellis Island, but there were these Kenyans that carried these briefcases and um, they, they had all sorts of watches, you know, Rolex, uh, Tag Heuer, all these watches. And they were, they were selling for 15 bucks, but I told him, look, I'll buy, if I buy 10, will you give them to me for eight? The guy goes, yeah. So I bought 10 watches, Rolex, Tag Heuer's. They're fake, but they look like the real thing. Anyway, I stuffed my pockets with them and we had to go to the ferry. Well, at the ferry, they, they had the um, um, x-rays to check you and everything. But the first thing they tell you is, remove your belt. And I said, if I remove my belt, you, you need to remove your belt. But remove your belt. I removed my belt, and my pants just started going south. So I was like this, and he goes, you got to let go of those pants. I, if I let go of my pants, it, my, that belt was very important. I, and that's how it is with the belt. It holds everything in place. Uh, for law enforcement, the right belt holds your weapon, your handcuffs, everything that you need is held in place. It has to be in the right place. 
Well, what it says is having you girded your waist with truth, what is our belt as Christians? What is our belt? It says with truth. What truth? As Christians, our truth comes from the scriptures. If you know the word, then you know the truth. However, our belts, the truth, have been bombarded in the last few years. As Christians, we are, we're starting to, to waver on what the truth is. What does the world consider truth? For, for years, the last administration's years, we heard that, that the truth of the scriptures was not real. The truth was you were supposed to love one another. That, that was the truth. And you were not to judge. That was the truth. Everything else, Christians started with giving in just a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, when Roe versus Wade came up, you know, well, you know, I, I, I agree with, I disagree with abortion, but you know, there's some instances, some cases that really we need to think about. I disagree with, um, with the gay lifestyle, but you know, maybe they have something there when, it, you know, it may be a scientific fact. And, and, we, and we started giving in a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, until we see entire congregations giving up on the word of God. Entire churches, denominations saying, well, it's not really the word of God. It's not really the truth. And in each of our lives, many of these untruths, many of these lies have started wearing away at our belt, our belt of truth. What we need to do as Christians, as born again Christians, we need to make sure that that belt, that belt of truth is found in the word. Is, that is where our base is. It's the word of God. And we need to know the word of God. And it says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that righteousness that we wear, the breastplate, it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was bestowed upon us when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have that righteousness. It's not anything that I have done. It's not anything that you have done. It's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we wear that breastplate. In everything that we do, everywhere we go, we wear it. There's this story about this golf pro many years ago. He had an opportunity to play with President Ford, President Gerald Ford, who was the president back then, Jack Nicholas, and Billy Graham. And he was excited because he was going to play with the president and with Billy Graham. He'd, all, he'd played many rounds with Jack Nicholas, so it, was, it didn't excite him. So they go out and they play, and they come back, and he comes, he's all angry and everything. And, and another pro, golf pro, comes out, so how was it? And he goes, I did not need Billy Graham shoving his religion down my throat. And he takes off in a huff. And he goes to the practice range and he just keeps hitting golf balls and golf balls and golf balls. Just, I mean, the guy was red. 
When he finally had calmed down, after just tiring himself up and hitting golf balls, the, pro, the other pro goes, so what did Billy Graham say to you? That he shoved religion down your throat? And he says, he didn't say anything. I just had a bad round. But it was that Billy Graham didn't say anything. He didn't have to say anything. The guy was intimidated because of his righteousness. Billy Graham showed the love of God through the way he acted, through the way he behaved. And that's what we are. Our lives, we should be able to preach the gospel without saying a word. People should know what our walk, who we serve, without us saying one word. When they work around us, they should know that there's something special about them. There's something different. And sometimes when people find out that we're Christians, they don't want to be around us. It's not anything you say, anything you do. It's how you live. How do you carry yourself? How do you carry Jesus Christ? Well, that breastplate of righteousness is what we're to have. And then it says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The right footwear is very important. You don't see basketball players wearing cleats. You have to have the right footwear. Golfers have their own shoes. Football players have their own shoes that they wear. Football players wear different types of cleats for different conditions. You know, whether it's raining, whether it's icy, whether they're playing on grass, whether they're playing on, on turf. Different shoes for different places. But the shoes are very important. And it says, having shod your feet, having put your shoes on with a preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, what we walk in, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are at peace with God. We are at peace with God because we're no longer at war with God. We're no longer at enmity. God is our Father. So we wear, we prepare our feet with that gospel of peace and that gospel of peace to others where we take that peace that God gave us and we share it. So we have the proper footwear, that gospel of peace. And then it says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The fiery darts. How many times have you been sitting in church, been reading your Bible, been in prayer, and all these thoughts start coming to mind? You know, and, and, and they're not thoughts from God. You can tell. Because sometimes they're lustful thoughts, sometimes they're hateful thoughts. But those are the fiery darts that Satan is throwing to get your mind off of what you're supposed to be doing, off of your reading. How many times have you sat in church and, and, and these thoughts come and you go, how can I be sitting here listening to the word or in worship and thinking these things? And that, that is Satan just attacking, attacking, attacking. Don't, don't read your word here. Let me, look at this person, man. Boy, look at that person. Look at that person. Hypocrites. You know they're hypocrites. How can you sit there with all these hypocrites? You know, it's, it's all these thoughts. And what he says is, take the shield of faith to where you'll be able to protect yourself. 
Be able to, to ward them off. Faith to know that you're, you're saved. Faith to know that God is working. Faith to know that the thoughts are not yours. And they're not God's. Faith to say, get away from me. Lord, take this away. It's not of you. Put my mind on you. And knowing and believing that God is going to do the work. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That helmet of salvation, that helmet's very important. In battle, the helmet was able to ward off blows from swords, able to, to so that when someone hits you, it, you were not put out of the battle. Again, in sports, we see a helmet. In, in football, you, you need that helmet. You see what the damage that these guys are doing to each other using helmets. Imagine what it would be like if they didn't. But that helmet is our salvation. That's what we're wearing. We wear our salvation. We were saved because of our salvation, because of the cross, because of the work that Jesus Christ has done, we have salvation, and we can wear that. And we know that these blows that come to us are not going to kill us. We, we're not going to experience the death, the death of the soul that, that, that many others will experience. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God, of God, that sword of the Spirit that we're supposed to wield, we can only wield that sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You can't wave your Bible at Satan. You can't. Satan, go away. This is the word. It's the word of God. And Satan goes, you never read it. All you're doing is shaking dust. And I know that sometimes it feels like when, when you're sitting there and, and, and the guys are teaching from the pulpit and they're saying, read your word. You know, it's like, oh, come on, don't beat me anymore with that. But it's not beating. It's an exhortation. You cannot use the sword of the Spirit if you don't know the Word of God. And you can't know the Word of God if all you're doing is going through a devotional every day, if you're not reading it for yourself. See, one of the things that my, my desire in going through the book of Ephesians the way we did in six teachings was to show you that you can go through the Bible yourself chapter by chapter. And if you start with Genesis chapter 1 and keep going a chapter a day, you will have read the entire Bible within three years. The entire Bible, the whole sword of the Spirit you will have read. It doesn't say you have to memorize it. It, it. All it says is read through it. Know the word. Some people don't even know what, what's in the book of Judges. Some people don't know who the minor prophets are and why they're minor prophets. Some people feel that there's no, nothing important in the Old Testament. But see, we need to know the entire Word of God. That is our sword. We need that sword. And when we have done, when we have everything, the breastplate, we've girded our, ourselves with the truth, not of the world, but of the Bible. We have that breastplate of righteousness, that helmet of salvation. We have the proper footwear the gospel of peace. 
We have the shield, we have the sword, then we can go out and we can take that attack and stand, stand at the end. And when it's all over, when it's all finished, we're standing. We may be a little beaten up, our armor may be a little dented, but we're standing. We're standing. Verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As he's closing, Paul reminds him and reminds us that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication spirit. We should be praying for others. We should be praying for ourselves. We should be praying for our families. We should be praying for the Christians on the other side of the world. You know, we're not, we don't, we talk about facing persecution in the United States. We have no idea what persecution is. When you have Christians in Nigeria who are being beheaded for their faith, when you have Christians in other countries who also are being jailed, they're being tortured, we have no idea. We are so insulated in this country that, that we think persecution is when they take prayer out of the schools. That is persecution, but not like what other Christians are facing. Just because they took prayer out of schools doesn't mean we can't pray with our kids before school and after school. It doesn't mean that we can't teach them the word. We don't know what persecution is. But we can affect those Christians on the other side of the world. We can affect those that don't believe in Jesus Christ. We can pray for the Muslim nations. We can pray for the Muslims. We can pray for those Christians. When, we, when Hurricane Harvey and Maria and came around, there, we couldn't go there but we could pray for them. Our prayers many times are more important and more effective than us sending $5 or $10. We need to pray. We need to pray for one another. And he says, always with all prayer. And prayer doesn't mean that we have to sit down or we have to get on our knees. There's times that when you're driving, you can be praying. You can pray for that driver that, that cut you off. In my case, I pray for the driver that I cut off. But you know, we can pray. Use some of that time in prayer. And he says, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We're to pray for all the saints. And then Paul says, and, and pray for me. But you know, interestingly enough, again, he's in prison, right? So does he say, pray that I may get out soon? Pray that I may be released? No. What does he say? That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's saying, hey, don't, don't worry about the chains. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Pray that God gives me the words to speak, to proclaim the gospel boldly, that there may be no fear in what I say and what I do. Again, let's pray that God use us in our circumstances where God has us. 
Each one of us is in a different place. Each one of us can affect different people. We, we pray for those in our workplace. We pray for those around us and pray that through the righteousness of God that is in you, that is in us, that we may affect others. And then Paul ends the letter where he says, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that it may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all those who love Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Here he shows that, okay, I'm thinking about you guys, and I, but I don't want you to, to think about everything that's going on with me in jail and in chains. He says, I'm sending Tychicus to you. He's a faithful minister in the Lord along with me, and he's going to tell you all the things that are going on so that you know our affairs, so that you may know and that he may comfort your hearts. Be comforted because there's stuff happening. There's good things happening, and, and he's, he'll tell you about them. Peace to the brethren. Peace to all the saints. Who are the saints? We're the saints. All those who have come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we're the saints. We're the brethren. We're part of the family. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That love of God that's bestowed upon us constantly. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And we have that grace when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have that grace, we have that peace, we have that mercy. Amen. The end.